0: Welcome to the Impact Church podcast. We are a community that doesn't pretend to have all the answers, but aims to have all the hope that you could ever need. We pray that this message is helpful and encourages you, no matter what season of life you're in. Enjoy this week's message. You never know what's on the other side of an invitation, hey? Very cool story there from Cal. Um, and yes, in case you are questioning it, he is one of those annoying extroverts who would do something like that. <laughs> in case you listen to that story and like, went, well, who does that at a checkout? What the heck? Um, but he is also just an awesome guy. And a number of times he's challenged me um, when I've chatted to him. Um, he's actually the guy who, um, if you've ever been here on a Sunday where we're watching a live stream message from um, the guys up at Suncoast While we're here together in the room Cal's the one who's texting me Because he's at the camera And he's texting me like Is this angle good? Is this angle good? Can you see the slides? And I'm like man I can't keep up <laughs> <laughs> He's just that kind of guy But I, I, I just love that lesson he, he took something I don't know how often you've thought about that, that friend you've got That might benefit from coming and learning about This hope that we have From our church community From spending time learning from the word of God Together from the Bible from spending time singing these songs together. I, I, don't, I don't know what kind of blessing those things have been to you in your life and how many times you probably, I, I know it's happened to me, you're with someone at work or you're with someone at school or university or, or a family member at a, at a dinner and you think, gosh, man, what they're going through, they could really benefit from some community, from some of the hope that I have in my relationship with Jesus. And then, and then the very next voice, right, is that one that holds you back and says, no, they don't need it that's that very next voice that follows that first one real quick you know the one (laughs) and I love the way Cal simplifies it there and says just make the invitation pray for them and God will do the rest I think there's something so pertinent in that so uh, I'll make sure to thank Cal for sharing that story with us but hopefully that encourages you as well hey, it's wonderful to be back in the room. <laughs> um, Eleanor and I have been out for two weeks. First, because we had a, uh, it was a good reason. There was a wedding that we went to for some dear friends. Um, and it was one of those weddings where you claim the relationship. I don't know if you've ever been in that one. Like, I'm the reason they met. And it's kind of like you feel like a bit of a superstar, which is a terrible attitude to have at someone else's wedding. But then the father of the bride shouted us out in the wedding speech. And I was like, yes, we've done it! <laughs> But anyways, again, terrible attitude to have during a wedding <laughs> We had a great time there, and, um, and then the following week, um, whether it be the wedding, whether it be serving with red frogs at orientation week, whatever it might have been, um, the spicy cough made it into our household. So uh, we have been out of action um, for a week and, and some days now, you'll be glad to know. We didn't bust out of isolation early or anything to be here this morning. Um, fortunately, um, Eleanor has the immune system of Iron Man and didn't get it, it was just me. Uh, with the man flu at home for two or three days and then uh and then the really dangerous part comes right because there's the two i don't know i don't know how many people have actually experienced it yet but there's the two or three days where you've got it and you feel pretty average and then the really hard part comes the four days where you're not just in like a lockdown scenario where you get your 60 minutes walk you're in isolation you, you're, you're in a one-bedroom apartment with two other adults and a dog and no backyard for four days. And if, if, you, if you've never met me before, you've probably already worked it out, I have a, a reasonable amount of energy. Um, so to, to, to be in four days of isolation in a one-bedroom apartment, put it this way, Eleanor's very patient. <laughs> Eleanor deserves a medal. Eleanor deserves a medal, not only for having the immune system... Of Iron Man, but uh, but also for putting up with me. So so there you go. We had we had ice. Yeah, thanks thanks, Melly. That's for Eleanor. <laughs> um, and I'll come back to that in a second. But it's wonderful to be back in the room. And one other good thing about being in the room, I can see your teeth. That's lovely. Um, I've I've been excited for this day, but also a little nervous for this day where masks got removed because I don't know if you ever had the chance to speak to a room of people when masks, were necessary. You're not quite sure if A, they're awake or B, they're, they're listening. <laughs> um, so I've been really excited to get back to, to, to being able to share with you without masks between us, but also kind of nervous because now I'm going to know what you're actually thinking while I'm talking. So anyways, here we are. We'll see how it goes today. Um, but, but circling back to what I started to get out there about isolation, and I'm not going to spend long on this because I don't know how many messages and anecdotes you've heard about what we've learnt through lockdown over the last two years, so I'm not going to spend long there. But I did want to make this point. There is one thing that we have learnt about isolation, and it is this that there is a big difference between isolation and solitude. There is a big difference. Between isolation and solitude. And anyone who's an introvert in the room, just quietly to themselves, because they're an introvert, just said, amen. <laughs> because solitude is something we see, right? I don't know when you face a, an important decision in life, what your go-to uh, moments are. I'm looking at at least one person in the room who shares with me, oh, I've got an important decision to make. I should be alone in the mountains for, for a period of time. To think about this. Whether that's just an excuse to get out for another run or another ride or something that's actually helpful, I'm not sure. But that's my form of solitude that I seek when there's a big decision to make. When there's something going on in life that I'm like, man, I just need to sit with this. And I don't know what happened. There's the, the, the other one that I really like is, and it's an annoying answer if you're on the other side of someone making a decision. When they say, I'm just going to sleep on that. Like, how does that help? <laughs> but it does, right? Right. And I don't know if sleep's a good example of solitude necessarily, but there's something in solitude that refreshes us, that helps us to think clearly. But to my lesson of another thing I was reminded of after just this last week, there is a big difference between isolation and solitude, right? As I mentioned, if I'm, I'm the kind of person that, one day without a run, I get twitchy. Two days without a run, I get itchy. <laughs> and after three days, I just flat out, you don't want to be around me. Because I just... I just getting outside and, and, and that, that time, it just, it just... There's something about that connection with others that I train with or run with. There's something about that connection with nature and with being outdoors and fresh air that really helps. There's something about our souls about us as people that means we, we really crave connection, right? You know this. You've experienced it. In the last two years, we've all had the chance to experience this craving for connection. And it's right there in the beginning of The Bible, right early on in the the narrative of Genesis, in the narrative of the Christian worldview, of how the world came to be and how we find ourselves in the situation that we do. It says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. It's one of the first things that God identifies right after creating us. It's not good for them to be alone. They get a bit weird. (laughs) I will make a helper comparable for him. You see, I think it's hardwired, it's, it's part of who we're created to be that we need to be connected to a community. Now, as I've said, solitude can be helpful. But isolation, now that leads us to some strange places. That can, because what happens is this, this craving for connection that you and I have leads us to seek connection from somewhere, right? Somewhere. And in this day and age, there are connections available when you're in the dark, alone, in a room. (laughs) Perhaps more so than ever before, but right throughout history we've seen, when people are isolated from community, they seek connection somewhere. And as to whether that is going to be good or bad or lead to human flourishing or trouble, well, you know the story. She got in with a bad crowd. He got some new friends, and we don't see him around anymore. When we think about the, the, the stories we hear of young people that get caught in gangs or, or, or in circles dealing things, it's, it's not like they set out necessarily most of the time with that as the end goal in mind. In fact, if we dig, it's that human craving for connection. For belonging for community that often leads us whether good or bad to a form of community that will influence our lives whether it be healthy or whether it be toxic and so it's no wonder then and this is what i want us to consider together today it is no wonder then that right after Jesus finished his time physically, bodily here on earth with us and sent the helper, that immediately the early church community, the early Jesus followers, those who were carrying on this mission that Jesus had set into motion, it is no wonder then that we see them immediately begin to gather into communities, into local churches. And 2,000 plus something years later, look at us again this morning. In response to, and I don't know what your relationship, you might be listening online, just checking out this whole idea. Maybe, maybe the, the name In Good Company caught you. Maybe you found yourself in company that you're questioning and you want to see what the church is all about. Why do you guys get together every single Sunday? Well, there's something that compelled each and every one of us in response, for most of us, to the message of Jesus and the hope that we find in Him to get into a community. ...that follows Jesus because they understood this simple truth. They understood that faith, they the early church, we a church today... ...understand that faith flourishes best in community. We crave connection from somewhere, regardless of where it's going to be. And the earliest followers of Jesus had this figured out very quickly so that we still follow the same thinking today, because we know that faith flourishes best in community. And so today, my goal, what I hope that you take away from, whether you're listening right now, live in the room, or listening later on social media, or via podcast, sitting in the car, whatever it is, that you would understand that after this, there is something in us that craves community, which when considered and carefully used can lead to our flourishing, can lead to life, and you may have heard these words before, life to the full. And I want to take the lessons from this truth, from this idea that we flourish in community, and I want to learn a few things from a community that was getting this wrong. In the New Testament, in the, in, in the second half of our Bible, in the part of the story where we learn about what it was that the early church, the early followers of Jesus did immediately after he had departed and sent the Holy Spirit to help. We have these letters written to real communities, real local churches, really figuring out how to do life together and not get on one another's nerves. I'm not looking at anyone in particular. It's, it's, that, that is what Paul is writing into when he writes this letter that I want to consider this morning, 1 Corinthians, and you'll figure out pretty quickly, and I ain't saying anything, that he was writing into a church community that wasn't always getting this right. And right from the outside, I want to say, we weren't called to do it perfectly all the time, right? We were just called to do it together. And if we can stick together and remember the main reason for the reason we came together in the first place... I think we're going to make some good progress. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, we get a pretty clear hint that Paul is riding into some trouble with these words. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. As soon as someone says appeal, you know it's trouble. When was the last time you walked in from work and you turned to whoever's in the house with you and said, I am appealing to you. I'm going to try that a quick I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree... With one another. Yeah, right. That all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you. And pausing there for a second, isn't that an idyllic picture? Anyone with multiple children is just shaking their head. Anyone who has even dealt with multiple children in one room is shaking their head. It's a big ask from Paul, right? The reason for this community to come together has got to be a strong one if this is what Paul is suggesting they be aiming at. And listen to what he says next. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. I said anyone who's dealt with children. I'm going to rephrase. Anyone who's dealt with people... (laughs) is shaking their head at Paul's well. This is what we find his appeal to be about. In other words, his desire for them is to be connected, to be united, not only in idea, but in action, to be working towards something together. It's why we're obsessed and why you will hear me talk about far too often this idea that we don't want to just be a community that exists for who rocks up and sits in the four walls on a Sunday and feels comfortable with it. We want to exist for the people who aren't here yet just as much. We don't just want to be a church country club for those who feel comfortable with a weekly gathering, three songs and 25 minutes from me and then some morning tea and a header. We want to be... A community that knows that what we have, the hope that we have, is that the hope that the world needs, right? Yeah. It's why that invitation is not just token. On the other side of that invitation that Callum talked about earlier, there might not just be someone attending on a Sunday, but there might be real life change. On the other side of us having faith enough to just extend an invitation. It's why we constantly say we don't just want to be a church for church people. We want to be a church for the unchurched people. That people who may not think that this whole God, this faith, this Jesus thing, whatever their encounters have been in the past with it, might not be for them. But we, we want to put a stake in the ground as a community and say that we are here as much for the people who aren't here yet as for one another. Because that's what Jesus asked us to do. With the good news that he gave us. And so Paul says in, in perfect unity, in both action and thought, in mind and thought. Would you follow Christ? And I think we can make the same appeal to one another today. So what's the problem? Why is that hard? Why do we read that and go, come on Paul. Well he gives it to us just a few verses later with these words he says there are quarrels among you there are quarrels among you one says i follow paul still another says i follow christ you got those verses there for me look some from Chloe, that was here. some from Chloe's household some from the church community in Corinth have informed me that there are quarrels among you. No quarrels here, so we're one step ahead, Alright, That's great. Some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you, and then he goes on to say, One says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Peter. Naming all of these different leaders in the early church. And then relegated to the bottom list, there are some that say, I follow. Follow Christ. What is the problem that Paul is addressing here? Why is there a lack of unity in this church? Well, because they, were f- they forgot the key thing. They forgot the why for their gathering in the first place. They forgot that it is all about, yes. about Jesus. Yes. Yep. What other reason would there be to come together and seek perfect unity in mind and in thought? And if you haven't encountered Jesus in your life in a way that this makes sense to you yet, I want to encourage you, stick with us here. Because we have a goal to be the most welcoming, the most loving, the most gracious. We, we don't want to have all the answers. We just want to have all the hope that each other could ever need by sitting with one another, by doing life together in the good, the bad and the ugly. Because we believe that that is what Jesus does for us. They forgot that that they allowed individual personalities to take precedent. They allowed opinions to get louder than the mission that they gathered for in the first place. Personal preference to dictate decisions that they were making rather than the why behind gathering in the first place. They lost the thing that connected them all in the first place. Because here's the thing. The idea of church isn't that you just come and take something. The idea of church was always, from the beginning, that you come and that you connect to something. It is not about consuming so much as it is about contributing Don't hear me saying, oh, I'm just not going to turn up when it's tough for you because you need to be contributing and we're not going to give anything. No. That's not what I'm getting at here. And if you've ever had an experience in a local church where you just felt like all they did was take, 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 serve, 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 roster, 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 then I'm sorry. And we're determined. We'll get that wrong sometimes too probably. But we come together not because of what we can take, but because of what we get when we have a community that is committed to connecting to one another and to Jesus. That you would know people that know your story. You would have people that know your story and that they would know yours, the good, the bad, the ugly. That you would share, you would be open, you would be accountable. Eleanor, I did this crazy thing with our connect group in the first week that we gathered, we said, hey, over the next three weeks, we're gonna take it week by week or fortnight by fortnight and we want you to share your testimony. It was a room of strangers. We'd just moved to Canberra. It was either gonna make us some friends or it was gonna get us like (laughs) excommunicated. And you know what? After four fortnight rotations, each week there'd been tears. We needed to buy new tissues after week three. It was a little bit embarrassing But then we had this group of people who knew the good, the bad, the ugly of us. We knew theirs. And we still showed up and connected anyway. And it's amazing what that openness can do. That it's not just about coming and taking and consuming. But it's about what you can contribute. About what you can connect to. Because community wasn't the goal, right? Let's not get carried away with it. Community wasn't the goal. The reason to come together wasn't just because it was fun and because they wanted a group of friends so they didn't feel lonely during the week. It was more than that. It was the vehicle, as we said right at the beginning, it was the vehicle that led to human flourishing for these people. But the hope that they found in Jesus compelled them to gather in community with those who also knew that good news that they would come together and contribute into one another's lives in response. And that it would lead to each of them having better lives overall. Not necessarily easier all the time, but they were connected to a group of people that had the hope that they had, that knew their business, that they knew they could trust with theirs, that were committed to contributing into one another's lives in the name of Jesus. I shared, I don't know if you jump on Facebook when you first wake up, I shared a quote this morning on Facebook via our church's Facebook page yes. that I wanted to sit on for a moment together this morning. And you may have heard this before from an author and a speaker and a thinker by the name of John Eldredge who said, the human soul is village-sized. True. The human soul is is village sized and perhaps more than ever we need to pause and ponder sleep on it what that means because if there's even a shred of truth to this idea that each of us in a village need a community then wow we're in a dangerous period of time to be alive in i don't know how many facebook friends you have how many instagram followers you have how many people you have in your contact list on your mobile phone it's more than a village In a time where we're more connected than ever, more aware of everything that is going on than ever before, it's worth paying attention to this idea that perhaps our souls were not set up necessarily for that kind of level of connections. You see, because it was never like that. It hasn't always been that way. We weren't always aware of everyone's everything all around the world, And it's led to some beautiful innovation and technology and the ability to help people and, and pray for one of them, the assistance that's going into situations around the world right now. It's a wonderful thing, but it just wasn't that way to begin with. And it's worth measuring the cost of the fact that we are so connected now. And here's, here's, here's the danger. It abuses our God-given capacity to care to share, to love, and to pray for. Now being a globally connected community so that we can care, share, love, and pray for people all around the world is not a bad thing. But it's worth considering the cost for our individual souls from being so connected. Because the danger is that we can be so absorbed by everything happening in the world that we neglect What's happening in our own backyards. I know you've felt this. We fight it every time we unlock an iPhone for the first time after waking up. Where do we connect first? I don't know if anyone else here is crazy enough to sign up for Twitter. But if that's the first place you connect, wherever it is that you connect, I'm sure you've felt this reality. We can become so absorbed by events happening everywhere to the neglect of what is happening right here in our lives, in our community, in our village. Compassion fatigue. Empathy fatigue. Maybe I'm using language that you haven't put to it before but you're relating. Maybe you have heard those buzzwords before and you're relating to it. Whatever it is, it's a reality. What's our response to it? It's worth weighing the dangers of our connectedness. In young people around the world, a leading cause of death right now is suicide. It represents that they have lost hope for the future. In being so connected and so aware It's difficult to sometimes see through it all what it is that we should keep going for. What it is that should give us hope. What it is that should compel us to not hit snooze just that one more time because we do not have the capacity to care about everything at all times. And one response to this, of course, is that there are times, and this is well documented, there are times we should disconnect that we should rest, that we should relax, that we should take that vacation. Perhaps you're someone who takes a Sabbath. This idea that we would pause for 24 hours every single week and say, hey God, you're in control, not me. I'm grateful, I'm grateful for what I have, but I acknowledge that you're you're in control. To disconnect is something that you probably are aware, whether you're good at doing it or not, is probably a separate conversation. But we all know that there, to some degree, is this need for us to disconnect. But that doesn't mean that there is not also a time to connect. Because as we said, the human soul craves connection from somewhere. And what we feed it is going to have a direct influence on every area of life. Whom or what we connect to is just as, if not more important, than what we disconnect from. Eleanor and I have this little saying that we throw around in our house that's helped us, maybe it'll help you, maybe you've got your own. We say, okay, you seem a little tired. Is that thing that you've just said yes to a gain or a drain? Is it a gain or is it a drain? Is it something that's feeding your soul, bringing life back in to you? Or is it something that's going to drain from you? Gains and drains, simple way that we think about it. And just being aware of what it is that you're connecting to and whether it's something that's adding to you, that's building you up, that's giving you life or whether it's something that is taking away. And that's not to say that you avoid all drains. There are times to give, there are times to contribute, there are times to sacrifice. But to the detriment of being able to back up and do it again tomorrow, perhaps we need to ask the question, maybe it's not just about the disconnections, maybe it's also about what it is that I'm connecting to and letting feed me. Because whilst we may be refreshed by disconnect, we flourish by what it is that we connect to. And when I say that word, when I say connect, we immediately think of digital, right? In this day and age, we immediately think of the social accounts, the text messages, the unread notifications. But biblically speaking, it's much more human, much more organic. Much more relational. Not just because they didn't have the technology available. And again, don't hear me saying that I should suggest we all throw out our iPhones. I think there are beautiful things that we get from our technology. It's just worth asking about the human cost of our connectedness. And Paul describes it in a way that is different from anything else that is available to us as far as community and connection. You see, because the relationship humanity is offered through Jesus, to God, is unrivaled. Unrivaled. And Paul describes it like this in chapter 12, verse 27 of this same letter. He says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. A body. The outworking and expression of ...of that in our human relationships... ...is unparalleled. That we are each part of a body. Because human flourishing... ...the life, the, the quality of life that we experience... ...the ability we have to contribute and connect to... ...and follow Jesus... ...and go about our work and our families... ...and our relationships... ...is directly linked... To how we connect with God and each other. Because how we connect with people can lead to our relationship with God flourishing. And how we connect with God can have an influence on our relationship with other people flourishing. They influence one another. So what is it that you are connecting to? Jesus talked about this idea by saying, I am the vine... And you are the branches. I am the vine and you are the branches. But this, this wisdom goes back even further than that. In the Old Testament, in Psalms, in Psalm chapter 92, verses 12 through 14, the psalmist says this, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. Those cedars that they're talking about, those trees that they're talking about, are not just growing in uh, tropical southeast Queensland. (laughs) They're growing in tough places. Harsh environments. And yet the psalmist looked at those and said, the righteous will flourish like these trees that we see flourish and grow, even in this harsh environment. How is that? In the very next verse he says, Planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Isn't that something you crave for your life. But even in the tough environments, even when things aren't easy, and gosh, they're not easy at the moment all the time, that we would flourish anyway. And what does the psalmist care Where the tree is planted, in the house of the Lord. When uh, my mother-in-law and dad got their first house, they took a rose bush, I think it was a rose bush, from their childhood home that I think it was mum had grown up in. And they took it with them and they took it to the new house they had built together. And they planted it in a pot on the front Pagola, and it was the prized part of the garden, the the one that got the uh, little bit of water at the extra little, the, at the bottom of the watering can after everything else being done. Like. And, and Mum loved it; she would tend it like she would tend nothing else. It was the priority getting this one right because it held so much significance and memory. Of course, you can understand that. But as much care as she could give it, it just would not grow, <laughs> and it would not change. And weeks would go by and still this attention and, you know, you can buy, like, special energy food for particular plants in particular, like, doing all of the things that you could do to try and get this plant to grow. And yet nothing would change. And one day, Dad pointed it out and said, uh, I know you love this one because it's, you know, significant and from Mum's garden, but it's actually not changing at all. I'm wondering if there's... Is it planted in anything? Like, is there anything below the surface? And as he said, and he walked over to the pot just to kind of have a look. And as he put his hand on it, he realised there wasn't a great amount of resistance. And he just gave it a little wobble and out came a stalk with no roots whatsoever that had just been poking into the dirt. (laughs) Where we are planted will directly influence the fruit that we will bear. Yes. The green that we will experience. The freshness that we will have as we go through life. The righteous are planted. Faithful, committed, consistent, intentional. Planted in community. And all of this comes from the picture that we get of God right throughout the biblical story. That no matter how tough it got, no matter how little hope those trying to follow God had, he was consistent. He stayed planted in his relationship with them. He always provided the hope that they could need despite the environment around them. This picture that we get of a God who doesn't ever... Give up on us, no matter the circumstances. That he stays in that relationship with us, that we would stay planted in him. The Old Testament calls it the house of the Lord, and Paul in the New Testament calls it something just slightly different the body of Christ. The very thing that each of us have a decision to connect into. The early church organized themselves. Into community because they recognize that connecting into community would cause their faith to flourish. So, circling all the way back to the lessons that we take from isolation over the last few years, it's not just about the fact that we connect, it's about what we connect to. And right throughout history, we see that the local church, the body of Christ, has provided the opportunity for people to connect to God, to have their faith flourish and for all the fruit that comes with that to follow. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Paul says, Don't be misled because bad company corrupts good character. What we connect to has significant influence on all areas of our lives. It can't do anything else. So Paul leveraged a known truth, this dynamic that what we connect to affects all of our life, all of our lives. He leveraged this idea to draw the church community in Corinth closer together. And my hope this morning is that you would see that relationship between your own life and your own experience and your own ability to give hope and be light and be salt to those around you your own ability to push through the circumstances that you might be facing (coughs) as directly related to what it is that you're choosing to connect to. Because it's not just about what we do occasionally. It's not what we do occasionally that makes the difference. It's what we do consistently. Because faith doesn't work as an afterthought, as an aside. It works best as an anchor, not as a backstop, but as the cornerstone on which we build our lives. We're more connected than ever. But perhaps we're also more isolated than ever. So it's worth pausing and asking the question, what is it that I am connecting to? Because we're all getting nutrients from somewhere. So consider these questions this week. What is one thing I can do to connect better with God? Simplify it. What is one thing that I might be able to do to make that connection with God stronger because of the way that it influences the rest of my life? And flip it the other way. What is one thing that I can do to connect better with others, with another? Eleanor, can I invite you back up to play? And I'll close for us in prayer. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I'd love to pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you've created us to crave connection, to crave community. Lord, that the things that we choose to feed into our lives have a direct influence on the quality of the rest of our lives. And Lord, that you made yourself available, that we could connect with you through Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would give each of us Knowledge and understanding and and, and insight into the things that are feeding us nutrients right now in our own lives. And I pray that you would help us to take action, to have courage to make decisions, to connect into things that are going to bring life and flourishing and not isolation or a lack of hope. Lord, I pray that you would use us as a community. You would use Impact Church as a place that people could connect into that would bring life and flourishing. Not because of clever programs, Lord, or catchy series, or great morning teas, or while we love all of those things, Lord. We recognize that they are the vehicle, Lord, for us to connect with you and to experience life and life to the full as you intended us to. In Jesus' mighty name we say, amen. Thanks again for joining us for this week's message. We hope it was helpful to you and practical for your life. Ultimately, we pray that this inspired you to consider taking a next step in your relationship with Jesus, whatever that may look like for you. If that's something you would like to do, we would encourage you to get in touch with us via the details in the podcast description. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.